It's 4 p.m. Stand up. It's count time. It's time for every man and woman to stand up and be counted. I'm Brother L. D. Azobra, and I'd like to welcome you to another edition of Count Time Podcast. Today we bring it on someone I met quite a few years ago. His family has been in business. He has been in business for a long time down here in Donaldsonville, Louisiana. Welcome, Mr. Stanley Francis to Countdown. Yeah, well, thanks a lot, uh, Brother Lyman. And I want to, I'd like to, to talk about the history of this business. This business started in 1875. 1875. Slavery end, ended in 1865, mm-hmm. around 1867, really. So you telling me your family, people of the African descent, owned a business right out right after slavery? That's right. Now, t- now tell me, who's your family? Well, we're going to start out with, with Tellus for Francis, T-E-L-E-S-P-H-O-R-E. Tellus for Francis. That's my great-grandfather. My great-grandfather was what you call a free person of color. How about the accident? All right. He was an aristocrat. He raised horses in the Kentucky Derby. And I received letters from some of his friends where his horse had won a couple of them races in the Kentucky Derby. And he also had horses that he would race out there in the, fr- in the fairground. Way back then, the, f- the fairground was, was like a a place to go to, to the races. Later on, they used it for state fair and stuff like that, but in the beginning, it was used for horse racing and uh, horse grooming and all this stuff. He started this business right here, right next to this cemetery. It, him and the priests were very tight. At that particular time, it started as an undertaking business. At that time, there was no embalming. It was a cooling board. My grandfather had the black hearse, was pulled by three Norman horses. Three horses, baby. Three Norman horses. What are Norman horses? Well, they look like the Clydesdale. Oh, yeah. they're, pretty, they, they're pretty close. I'll say uh, second cousin to the Clydesdale, okay. but they're heavy horses. And the reason that they had three horses is because the wheels would sink in the ground in, when you're burying somebody in the cemetery. <laughs> so the, 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 the third horse, actually the horse in front, was actually the third horse. He had two horses, on, one on each side, and the third horse was in front. So the third horse would pull the buggy out of the stuff. <laughs> so, and you know they had the open windows on these little, uh, I call them, hearse buckboards. They had four big windows open on it where you can see the casket inside and they had ca- four candle lights on each side of the little each side to you know so you can light the way and everything my grandfather and the priest of town remember the priest's name father Gubla. <laughs> bishop Gubla. <laughs> good liberate Gubla. okay not like google huh? not like google Gubla. Gubla. okay him and my great-grandfather were real close so the priest gave my great-grandfather this property for him to live because he was burying all these people out here for nothing. People that had money would pay him. 
Most of them that didn't have money, he would bury them for nothing. Put them on the cooling board, put them in the casket and stuff like that and haul them out to the cemetery. That's why my great-grandfather was so close with Reverend Gubler. So, so, so back then, it was, they only put you on a cooling board just, just to keep you... There was no embalming. There was no embalming. So they, when they put you in the grave... You had your blood in you. Yeah, uh, All the blood was still in so you. So they had to bury you within, the, within hours of, of your death? With how long, well, how much time it took? Uh, you know, they, they tried to get you in the ground as quickly as possible because you had all the blood in you and of course you had to they would they would dig six foot feet to keep the order from coming up that's why they would dig six foot feet deep but nowadays you don't have to go as deep because of this embalming process but that's what about six feet under back there yeah six feet you go down <laughs> six feet to make sure they see that blood would cause a big order and stuff like that so um, you didn't take any blood out, it was just burial. Sitting on a cooling board until they had the, the wake of the funeral or whatever, you know, and my grandpa would haul him in the cemetery with his horses and stuff. That's, pretty, that's some good information. And my, my, my great-grandfather married a French white woman. So when you look at the family line, you see a lot of mulattoes in my family. And that's because of the union of my great-grandfather and this French white woman he married. So he wasn't a slave. So where did he come from then? Where did, where? He was strictly a Cherokee Indian. Cherokee Indian? A Cherokee Indian. And I tell you what, if you saw the picture of him, you would realize that he was, he, he looked like a perfect Indian. But we call Indian these days. That's right. He was an aristocrat. He was a man of money and money, a man of, of means. So he wasn't a slave. He took care of business. You know what I'm saying? He was the first. So how you end up in Donaldsonville? I didn't know there were Cherokee Indians in this area. I don't know whether he came from New Orleans area or, or whether he, I don't know exactly where he came from. That's something that I never um, investigated. But I know he ended up here in Donaldsonville. He may have come from New Orleans. Anyway, he, uh, he was quite a figure. And he was known for taking care of people that couldn't take care of themselves. That's why he was so close with that Monsignor up there at the, at the church. And Monsignor was taken, taken up with the fact that he would take care of the cemetery. He was the first sexton of that cemetery. He took care of the cemetery. What's the name of that single cemetery? Ascension Catholic. Ascension Catholic. He took care of the cemetery and buried everybody that needed to be buried. So no matter what race or well, color? No matter what race. He was burying everybody. He took care of everybody. Were they burying the different races in the same cemetery back then? Different races in the same cemetery. Way back then. In Donaldsonville? In Donaldsonville. That's good news to hear. Yeah, well, the thing about it is my great-grandfather wasn't racist, you know. He saw people as people. Not, it's not, you can't say that today. You know, people don't look at people th that, you know, like they are somebody. He would look at the, the, the lowest of low and try to bring them up. He used his money and his funds to try to help all kinds of people. He always was a part of uh, some kind of fundraiser to help people that didn't have. 
and on his grave site. Is he buried in the same he's cemetery? He's buried in the same cemetery. <laughs> on his grave tomb, there was a sign out there. He cared more for people than he cared for himself. Is that same, same inscription is on his tombstone. That's the way they saw your grandfather. That's the your way they saw it. Great grandfather, he was something else. He was, uh, he was really a man that looked out for everyone in Donaldsonville. It didn't matter whether you were white, black, grizzly, or gray. He saw you as an important human being. And I tell you what, that's why this land was allotted to us from him. From the priest. From the priest. And, and from what church? Ascension Catholic. Ascension Catholic. That's right. So the thing about it is, I, I often wondered how we got this piece of land right by the cemetery. And then when I looked into the history of it, I found out why the priest gave him this land is because he was doing so much over here for nothing. He, they didn't have to wonder about whether or not uh, this person was going to be buried, whether they have two pennies or, or, or $5. He was going to take care of burying them, giving them a good burial. And what's fascinating to me at that time, you're talking about right after slavery. Mm -hmm. So your grand, your great-grandfather opened up a bit. So this must be one of the oldest business in the state, not just in Donaldsonville, right? Yeah, because see, the thing about it is uh, there's supposed to be two businesses older than this one. It's supposed to be the chief and lemons. Okay, the chief is the, the newspaper. And the chief was the newspaper they had here. I think they moved it to Gonzales. Donaldsonville chief. Right, Donaldsonville chief, I think, was the oldest, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, Lemons was the second oldest. The Lemon Building? The uh, Lemon Building. And what did he do in that building at that time? Lemon, lemon sold uh, dry goods and all kinds of different things, lawnmowers. And they, they sold just about anything you could think of. And they still do. Now they're selling tractors. They're selling tractors now. And of course, now if you have driven up there pretty soon, they have the Lemon Building being transformed into a a hotel. I think it was uh, some rich person bought the building. The guy who owned the, I think, homeless plantation? Yeah, I think so. Kelly. Something. Kelly? Kelly. Right. Bought, bought the, the building. building and he's having it renovated and he's going to make it like, uh, I don't know how many rooms they're going to have. They got a, they fixing up a very nice hotel for people that want to come to Donaldsonville to sightsee. Well, I don't know what else you would want to come here to see. What. <laughs> well, but, you know, Donaldsonville, you know, we're going to get back to the thing. But let's get back to your, 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 your history. Mm -hmm. That your family, you still own, you are the a keeper of your great-grandfather business that started out more of a mortuary, or they call them undertakers back then, right? Right. Well, I'm in the, I'm in the trans, what, what do you call it? I'm in the transfer business now. I'm transferring this to my son. Right, because you right now you are a disabled vet. That's right. And you, where did you, uh, give us a little history about you. Where, where did you grow up at? Well, I grew up here in, um, in Donaldsonville. What high school you went to? I went to uh, St. Catharines, which is the school that's on the building out, the, the end of the street out here on St. Vincent Street. Right. I went to St. Catharines until uh, such time as they closed down you know, lack of funds or whatever, whatever it was. 
I went there for what, type, what type of school was St. Catherine? There? It was a Catholic school. For who? Mostly blacks. Say mostly, not all. All blacks. <laughs> I, I don't know why I should lie like that. It's, it was a Catholic school for all blacks. Okay. And the thing about it is, you, we know how black Catholic schools are always underfunded. Not the same, you can't say the same about white Catholic schools because they're always overfunded. But for some unfortunate reason, and that, that school has got a lot of history. My daddy and other tradesmen around Donaldsonville offered their labor to build that school for dinners. They wouldn't get a salary, they would get a lunch. A lunch. Ladies would sell candies, rolls, they would make taffy candy and they would sell um, ices, all kind of little things that they sold to try to put some money together so that they can feed the workers, so that they can build that school. Is the school still there? It's still there, but it was transferred to Ascension Catholic and they used it for a while and then uh, I guess they felt like it was too expensive to keep it keep it going. I don't know why. But also, wasn't St. Catherine by the True Friends Hall at one time? Yes, that's right. That's where it started out at. That's where. That's where it. Uh, it basically, that's where it started out at. Because I used to go to school over there. Was right there where the True Friend Hall was. You used to go to school at St. Catherine at, by the True Friends. Over Friend? there, right. And my cousin Joyce was my teacher. That's right. So then. They got the money together. They got uh, a certain amount of stipend from the bishop. The bishop puts supposed to be half. Well then, a lot of this work was done, most of the work was done for nothing. These men didn't get nothing, no money at all, other than the, 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 the idea that they were building a place for their children to learn. They didn't give them a penny. My daddy worked on it. A, a lot of the people that live here in Donaldsonville, probably some of them have, have gone on to glory. They worked hard, night and day, to build that school, but they had their kids in mind. The bishops sends a certain amount of money to match whatever you've raised to build a school, but for some reason, the, it was the nuns, the, the Holy Sisters of the Holy Family were here at this school to teach. But for some reason, financially, the school couldn't measure up. And as a result, they closed it. And once they closed it, the diocese transferred it over to Ascension Catholic. But how long it stayed over? I don't know exactly how long. I think it was somewhere near about 15 to 16 years. I'm not sure But you graduated I'm not sure you, you graduate from I didn't graduate from okay. St. Catharines. It closed I, I left. I left um, I see, I think I was like a, a junior. And they closed it? And they, when they closed. And where you had to go then? I had to go over here, Ascension Catholic. Ascension Catholic, okay. Right. Or either I could have gone to Lori. So but when you graduated, you was drafted into the military or you signed on, up on your own? Well, I went to the military before I graduated from high school. I went to the Navy before I graduated. So before you graduated, you, you enlisted in the Navy? Well, wait a minute. What I did was, I think about in 11th grade, I left St. Catherine to go to Newburgh, New York to become a priest. 
whole <laughs> brother Francis, mm -hmm. you, you was you wanted to become a priest. Yeah. Well, I went to see if I if I had the, the calling. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess you didn't become a priest. So what that meant? You didn't have the calling. Well, I I um, for my benefit, I think that I would better serve what I was looking for in life by leaving the semin seminary. So after staying there like like a, a year and a half, I decided to leave, come back home. After getting back home, I decided to enlist in the United States Army. I mean, Navy. Navy. You know, you, uh, you, you get lonesome for home. And where were you located at? I was in Newburgh, New York. Oh, New York. The Caskills. The Caskills in New York, up in the northern part of New York. Man, I, Louisiana. I was skating on ice and falling down. That's something that you don't get. A, you don't get a chance to do in Louisiana. You didn't care for that ice either, did I? Well, I tell you what. I I I, I tell you what. Uh, my 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 rear end was hurting from falling down so much, so I had to I had to give that up. What hits you at high school to even give you the thought or desire to want to be a priest? Well, I was very close friends with Father Calamary who was at St. Catharines. I was his uh, ace boon coon, so to speak. But I stayed with him all the time, cleaning up around there, washing his car and stuff like that, and going to uh, basketball and football events with him and you know helping out with all this different stuff. Oh, you enjoyed that? I enjoyed that and uh, you know, he kept pushing me and prodding me to give it a shot. And I asked him, I said, well, where did you go? And he said, I went to Newburgh. I said, well, okay, I'll try Newburgh. But I was an altar boy a very long time, which was part of that. I gave it a, I gave it a shot, you know. You know, the thing about it is, I think what's for you is for you. And what's, what's not for you, you have to find out quick. And I did. About a year and a half, that was, that was good. Though. Right, I, I gave it a shot. And I tell you what, I enjoyed my stay there. Uh, it was very holy. Um, I did a lot of singing in Latin. I learned Latin. Uh, learned to speak things in Latin. It was something like the, the military. You, you know, you got up at a certain time and stuff. You had breakfast at a certain time. You get lunch at it. Then you got to go to prayer. And then you go to prayer again. And then you go to prayer again. But. Uh, it was wonderful. I, I enjoyed my stay there, and uh, well, I learned a lot there. How many other young men was there with you? With me, there must have been about 25. From all over the country? My uh, first cousin, Byron Thompson, was there with me. Who is Byron Thompson? Byron Thompson is uh, George Thompson's son. You know, uh, Roy Kizaz's cousin. My partner, Roy Kizaz. Right, that's Roy Kizaz's wife's brother. Yeah, so he was, he was there with me, and uh, you know. Did he stay? He stayed longer than I did. <laughs> <laughs> but at least you stayed in the military. You stayed in the military longer, though, right? Yeah, well, I, you know, he was the first one I told that I was, I was going, I was getting ready to leave. And he says, "Man, why don't you stay a little longer?" I said, "No, man. I said I think I, I made my peace with God, and uh, I enjoyed what you know what I was doing here." But I say, I think the Lord has something greater for me. So I, uh, I left the seminary and I came home. But not long after I came home, I went into the military. How'd that come about? 
that's a well, that's a whole other dimension. Well, my brother Lionel was in the army. He was a paratrooper, jumping out of the planes and stuff like that. He was joking with me and told me that I need to go to the army and stuff, you know. And I told him, I said, well, I think uh, I want to try the Navy. And he said, oh, no, well, don't try the Navy. The army is the best thing for you. I said, no. I said, well, I think I'm going to try the Navy. Just, you know, just talking it around, you know, just talking it around. And I said, talk to some other people to find out uh, how the Navy is and, you know, what you have to do and stuff like that. And a lot of guys told me that. I don't necessarily have to be on a ship. I could be stationed on land, or you know, uh, I may be stationed on a ship. So I said to myself, I said, uh, I think I might give this a try. So I went to New Orleans and I took the test, passed the test. And before you know it, the recruiter was at my door. How much time he, he gave you? From the time you took the test to the recruiter? He didn't showed. give me much time. He told me, he said, he said, what's your name, son? I said, my name is Stanley. Said, what's the last name? I said, Francis. He said, uh, you know, you're, uh, you're in the Navy now. I said, I, didn't, I, didn't, I barely got off the bus. He said, uh, he said give your heart to God. He said, give your behind to, <laughs> give your behind to Uncle Sam. He said, because your behind belong to me. You're coming down. Right. And he said, if you got somebody or loved ones at home, he said, don't worry about calling them. He said, I'm a lawnmower and I'm going to mow your behind now. <laughs> <laughs> you remember that that good? <laughs> I remember that. That was boot training. Man, it was bad. Well, I wasn't weather. in the woods. You know, the, the, the Navy didn't have to, to, to go bivouacking and all that stuff like, oh, like yeah. the Army. We stayed in, uh, you know, in the training center. We stayed in the training center, but it was hard. They, they would make you run with the rifle over your head. They would put you put your knees on the bench and hold the rifle over your head and somebody come kick the bench from Put the rifle back up. <laughs> you know? Don't talk about if your shoes is not shined properly. Oh, man. They give you a toothbrush to clean the bathroom floor. Toothbrush? Toothbrush. But, 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 but that never happened to you, though. All of that stuff happened to me. <laughs> that never happened to you, man. Everything <laughs> happened to me. But you know what? It made me stronger when I realized all of this, all of the, the heartaches that this, this sergeant was putting me through. He wanted to break the civilian life out of me and train me for war. I didn't take that too well. <laughs> I ended up getting on, you know, going to the Navy and I was on the USS Suffolk County. It's an it's a LST, landing ship tank. It opens up in the front to let tanks out. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I, uh, I was in number four engine room. What, what was your job? Well, to keep the engines running. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was a mechanic. All right, then. It was like the Fairbanks Moore's engines, like the trains use. That's how big it was. You could stand up, you could stand up in the inside of the cylinder, stand up in it. Of the book? The engine that big? It's big. It's a, they call them Fairbanks Moses, and that's what they use for the trains, pull the trains. They uh, they loud. Okay, now did you did you see battle, or you you got there? Well, you, you was in the Vietnam War. I was training to go to. My ship was pegged to go to Vietnam. What year was this? It was uh, let's see, sixty seven. 
My ship was pegged to go to Vietnam, but something happened, and they sent another ship instead. But we were training to go to Vietnam. We were so disappointed that we didn't go. Disappointed? I wasn't disappointed. <laughs> but, uh, well, you know. All that training. You, you, train, you train for battle, and, you know, when they shoot those big 16-inch guns and stuff like that, you, you want to see some action. You know, but I was uh, an assault boat coxswain. I was trained on uh, assault boats. So what we had to do, we had to bring the troops to the beach, drop the tailgate and let them run off. So that's what I did. But uh, I was actually the mechanic for the one that was driving. You had to keep it moving. Keep I had running. to keep it going. Okay, okay. I got behind the engine. Did you know something about mechanic before you got to the military? Well. You know, they, they send you to school to train you a little bit uh, on what to do. And then a lot of it is um, on the job. You know, they send you to A and B school to, to learn what you need to learn. But they got so many different styles of diesel engines, so you, it's almost like going to school all over again when, you, when they put another one on you. But basically, it's the same principle. You know, they don't work like gas engine. They work on compression. You didn't, you didn't graduate from... From high school at the time, mm -mm. you went to priesthood at a young age of 17, 18? Yeah. But then after a year and a half, you came back, decided you were going to enlist in the Navy. Yeah. Now, when you, so when, when, the, when, the, when, the, when the war was over with, how'd you end up, you end up back in Donaldsonville? Well, um, let's see, I got, I got in and um, I went in in 65 and I stayed in for four years. Oh, you, did, you did four years? I did four years there. They asked me to rejoin. They offered me uh, $20,000 to, re, to rejoin. Back then? Back then, they wanted me to come back. But I decided that four years of that was enough. Plenty enough, huh? I told them keep their $20,000. <laughs> I done served my country, right? I done served my country. Yeah, right. But you know, a lot, of, a lot of guys died in training. Died in training? Died in training. And you know, when you see something like that, it, it sticks with you. You know, it, it, it really, I don't know, it, it, it really sticks with you to a point where you say, damn, you know, we're not even in battle and people die. How did die in training? Sometimes we get in rough waters. We got these big pontoons that hang on the side of the ship. And, you know, they, they try to tell you to stay in the inside when the, when the water's rough. The ship is doing this. So those things on the, hanging on the outside and moving up and, up and down, pow, you know. And somebody leaning over the side and get clipped by one of them things. And that, that happened. It, it, was, uh, it was just something that you have to live with, pray for them. You know, the thing about it is, when, when the water is that rough, they tell you to come in the inside so that, when, you know, the ship has got watertight integrity, which means that if, if a, a wave come over it, it's not going to sink the thing because it's got watertight integrity. Some people don't listen. So you, you just saw them big old waves. Yeah. Oh, man, I tell you, we saw whales and sharks, all kind of stuff. 
we throw food off the fantail. So the sharks and all the fishes following the ship because they want to eat. They eat it, okay. Yeah. They feed them, they feed them. All right. But uh, it was quite a stay, I tell you. I, uh, so, yeah, now you end up back in Donaldsonville. Mm -hmm. So that's how that's when you started working with your, your grandfather? Did you, know, you didn't know your great-grandfather. Well, let me continue on with the business. <clears throat> okay, my great-grandfather had two sons. One was Willie Francis Sr. And the other one was Telespar Francis Jr. My grandfather had two sons, John Francis and Willie Francis. Willie Francis was my daddy. In the beginning, my Uncle John and my daddy was in this together. Was it still an undertaker business at the time? No, at, at that particular time, my, uh, my great-grandfather, like I said, um, he had two sons. So he sent that one son to New Orleans to learn the art of stone cutting. That's my great-grandfather. Willie A. Francis Sr. So he can take a hammer and a chisel and cut all kind of intrinsic designs that you couldn't take a machine to do. Not just lettering, but all kind of designs. And that cemetery is a depository for a portion of his work. But his work is all over Louisiana. So they, you're, you're, you're your grandfather, your dad's dad, mm -hmm. started the actual stone. Right, and, and he started, um, in fact, he had control of the Protestant cemetery as well. So the place where you put lawnmowers in the little shack, mm -hmm. that's where he did most of his practice in that. Once he come from New Orleans, when he had, he had learned what he needed to learn, he did a lot of practicing in that little, that, that became his shop. Did you know your grandfather? No, I, he died before, uh, before I was born. I, I never, I've heard stories about him. But you remember your dad telling you that? My dad told, told me a lot about him. Now what type of business is this now you run in? This is a marble and granite business. And what you, what you do with marble and granite business? What type of business is that? Well, we, we do the engraving. We do the engraving and designs. Of headstones for? Headstones for cemeteries. For cemeteries, right? Right. This is a dying business, ain't it? You can say that. <laughs> That's what my dad used to say all the time. But my dad learned, learned the, the, the hammer and chisel trade from his daddy. My Uncle Joan did too. But they learned pretty well. In fact, I would come out here as a child watching him cut letters in, the, in the, the marble and granite by hand. And the thing about it is it come out so perfect I just couldn't figure out how they did it. But it was a, it's, it's a dying skill. You don't have too many skillful hand carvers like that. I'm talking about for letters and designs. You got machines now, but they didn't have that back then. You, you had to be a true craftsman of the art. They, the, my daddy and my grandfather were true craftsmen. That's why I told my dad I, I had some heavy shoes to fill once I, once I took over from him. I told him I had some heavy shoes to fill. I said, because you got, I got grandfather before him. And you know, you always feel inadequate. I always felt inadequate when I look at how great they were. 
You didn't feel you could measure up. I didn't feel I could measure up. I didn't feel I could measure up. But you have maintained this business mm -hmm. of, from 1875 when your great grand your great grandfathers started mm -hmm. the business. That's right. And you you have kept it going, and you now transferred because you're a disabled, disabled veteran. Right. So you transferred over to your son, who is now taking over. What's, right, he's what's doing your son's name? Stanley Junior. He's doing the work. He's your only child. No, I got a, a daughter, Shawan. I got a daughter too. Okay. But so, so Stanley Junior. gonna take it over. Right. And uh, since you're no longer, since you're disabled now. Right. So you're just making sure that you training him. Well, well, he's doing everything now, so. You <laughs> <laughs> just show up to make sure that he's doing I it show right. up, I show up, and he tell me some things. Oh, okay. okay, all right. He's, he's keeping me courage, huh? Right, I just, just. So, so, but because of the machines now, he can, it's a little easier. It's much work. easier. You have laser, which is very expensive, and you have the old method. They got uh, computers now to do all the fancy designs. Uh, and inscriptions, and that makes things easier. But the work is not easier because the the stones are so heavy sometimes. That's right. When you put that stone on that grave, it got to stay there. Yeah, that's it right. It last forever, right? That's right. I, I always felt like I never measured up. In fact, my brothers. How many brothers? I had um, my dad and, and mama had five five boys and five girls. And then my daddy was a, a star guitarist in the, arm, the band with my Uncle Homer. What band was that? The, the Rocket Imperials. They, they played at the Shangri-La. They played all over. The Shangri-La was a little... Little jib joint. In Donaldsonville. Donaldsonville. That, that was big time back then. Big huh? time. Uh, Shangri-La. Okay. Yeah, and they... And they uh, I forget this little fella was make the jambalaya, man. He was good. I tell you what, they, everybody wanted to get his uh, recipe, but he was good. Served that and plus he, all the liquor you wanted to drink over there at the Shangri-La. So your dad was a musician? My daddy was a musician, my mother as well. My mother was a singer. That's where my daddy met my mother. Now, what's your mother name? Florida Francis. She's from Donaldsonville? She's from Thibodeau. Thibodeau? Mm-hmm. But she was in the band with him. One more time, what's the name of that band was? I think it was the Rockin' Imperials. I might, I could be wrong about that. I think it was the Rockin'. Well, don't hold me to they, that. They played the True Friends too. They played all over, man. He went all over, uh, all over Louisiana playing. My Uncle Homer was real good on that uh, organ. Now the other brother and sister, they they play instruments or sing. My brother William played drums. Um, my daughter played clarinet. Okay. I played. Um, tuba in the band. High school band. High school band. But I sung with um, Thaddeus Richard, his, my, my uncle's son. I sung with him several different bands in Thibodeau. At Hosey Hill in Thibodeau. I used to go up there with them and join in. When did you realize that you could sing? Well, when I went to Nichols, well, I, I started out singing for weddings at a very young age. Miss Betty uh, Nicholas was my voice trainer. And uh, I went to Nichols State University. The doctor there, he was over the madrigal singers. 
the madrigal singers is the medieval singers that would sit at the table and sing in harmony before the meal. I didn't sight read. He wanted me to join the madrigal singers without being able to sight read. Guess what he told me? He said, you have something that I can't teach. He said, I'm a doctor in music. He said, but you have something that I can't teach. Then I knew he was talking about the master, mm. you know? And I said to myself, why would this man put me with all these people that's a sight readers? I can't read a lick. I couldn't read a lick. You couldn't read music. I couldn't read music. But I tell you one thing, when I get ready to sing, I know what key to be on, and I could go to the pianist and tell him, I say, you know what? I want to try B or B flat. That ain't right. I tell him to go to C until I feel comfortable where he is. If I don't, I tell him to keep changing it until I get the right key. You can feel it. Huh? Oh, I could feel it, and I, could, I got a good ear. I could feel it, and I got a good ear for music, you know? But, uh, I sung in New Orleans with uh, Don Vappy. It's another cousin. I know Don. Yeah, I sung with him. I've met him before. Uh, several family unions, I sung with him. And, uh, oh man, I tell you, we, uh, we rocked it out. So Don Vappy from Donaldson? He's from no, Donaldson. he's from New Orleans. New Orleans? Mm-hmm. He's from New Orleans. because he got family in Franklin, Baldwin, Louisiana. Right. And, uh, well, he's a hell of a musician. He's got a room full of music that he wrote. He went to New York to, to teach the Boston Pops uh, a lot of this jazz and stuff. He plays the banjo too. He plays all the instruments. And how y'all related? Well, that's um, uh, uh, he's a second cousin to me. Wait a minute, third cousin. He's a third cousin to me. Third cousin, right. But uh, I tell you what, I had, on my mama's side, they were a musical family, and on my daddy's side, they were musical as well. So I came from a musical family. But you know what we started singing? My mama would sing alto, and all my sisters were singing a different voice at the table, and that's where we all sung before we ate. Y'all sung before y'all ate? We sung before in harmony. All 10 children? Right, all of us would sing at the table because that's my daddy wanted us to sing together. He said, you got to learn how to do something together. And he said, one thing you could do together is sing together. So then he would tell this one, well, you got to come, you got to go an octave lower, you got to go an octave higher. But it was all in harmony at the table. So we started out being musical, you know, and then here I am. Now I'm singing for the Lord now. But you've been made that commitment when you went to... I sung blues too. I sung all that stuff. <laughs> I sung all of that, man. But you know, it's like getting back to the thing I say I never measured up. All of my brothers knew more about this business than I did. I was they, they stayed in the shop longer than I did. Yeah, because you, you were off to be a priest. And then you went to the military. And then when I came back from the military, I went to college. So you see how God finds things for you? When God has got something for you, you can't say no to him. 
Because you know what? I was Mr. Smart Alec. Still I don't, is. I don't, have, I don't have to do that hard work. I'm going to college. See? But guess what? You're Smart Stanley, come to find out after I got out. Back over here. Knock on the door. And I said to myself, how can I measure up to this? How could I measure up to this? And I always wondered how I would measure up. But you know how I measured up? It was God. God made me measure up. It wasn't Stanley doing it. It was God doing it. I told my son, I said, you know, I did a lot of things here. And I said, I can't even count the thing, the, the wonders that I built. I said, but uh, I don't know how I did it. I do know how I did it. I had the power of God behind me. That's what did it. And I told him, I said, when I come to this shop in the morning, I get on my knees and I pray and thank the Lord for waking me up in the morning, starting me on my way. I thank him for his darling son, Jesus. That's going to start your day out and keep you going because you're acknowledging the power. See, you're acknowledging that you are nothing without him. I'm nothing without him. But you know, I did measure up, not because of myself, because of the power that lives within me. And that's why I, I have a loving relationship with God, with Jesus. I wouldn't have never been able to do all of the things that I did without him. A lot of us don't want to give credit where credit is due. A lot of time, I thought I was the smart one. I thought <laughs> I was doing all of this, making all these I, things happen. I, I, I. I found out it wasn't me. It was the master that strengthened me, enabled me, gave me knowledge that I never had. If somebody would have told me that I was responsible for building uh, that shrine out there in, uh, across from Ace Hardware, I would have told them they lie. Tell, tell them what shrine that is. What shrine did you The shrine I built out there in uh, the, the park across from Ace Hardware has got an eagle on top and it's got a marble box sitting under it. I built all of that. The church in Pankoville brought me a baptismal uh, fount that was broken in a thousand pieces. And they brought it to me and they said, I need you to put this thing back together. I said, you got too many broken pieces here. And I said, leave it here a while, let me look at it. I said, this is nothing more than a puzzle. So I took some marble glue, I took the bigger parts and put the bigger parts together. And then I took some coloration to color uh, the glue so that the glue would match what I was putting together. I brought that thing back to that church and that, that thing has outlasted the church. It's still there. That statue out there by the river. Uh -oh, what statue is there? Uh, it's a statue about the Fort Butler. I built that. I built that and put that out there. And it also have the slaves that were 
uh, were actually fighting at Fort Butler to, to try to free uh, Fort Butler. You talking about the, uh, the monument to the, the black slaves? Yeah, you see it out there? Are you talking about the, that you built for the River Road African American Museum? Yeah. Yeah, I was there, matter of fact. That's when I found out you, was a, you had this great voice. Yeah. That you, that, that. And God gave me that. Oh, you get this brother here can say. God gave, <laughs> you know what? I said to myself, I had to give this voice back to God because it wasn't my voice. Lyman, sometimes I sing songs one different way and I can't match what I did. So I know the Holy Spirit took a control of my voice and it wasn't me. Sometime when I finish singing a song, I don't know where my seat is. I am so enthralled with the Holy Spirit. It grabs, he grabs you sometime and he make you cry like a baby. I said, that's when you really get into God. You get into the Spirit. You know what I'm saying? And man, I tell you what, there's no feeling like that. I don't want to, I get so high, I don't want to come down. I just want to stay there with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> don't touch me yet. But that's only because you left priesthood at an early age, so now yeah, that's the way you're serving him now. Well, the thing about it is I learned about who God was. I learned a lot of things over there, but I always had it in my heart to praise God. Whatever I did, I offered it up to him. And I said, I asked him, I said, Lord, I said, I don't know what I'm going to be, but I, I ask you to assist me because I want to be the best that I can be, whatever I do. And I said, I can't do it on my own. I need you. Let me tell you, at the at the unveiling of the shrine to the black soldiers at Fort Butler, Fort Butler was a, a fort that was that's fought during the time of the Civil War, mm -hmm. where a lot of African soldiers fought in the, in the Civil War mm -hmm. in the Donaldsonville area. So uh, through the River Road African American Museum and our friend Kathy Hambrick, they revealed this, uh, this, this monument for the, uh, to, the, to the soldiers that you did a great job of, of uh, producing the monument. But also, they had this little, like a little, what we call a, now we call them like a karaoke box, kind of like mm -hmm. that, right? So you started singing over the karaoke box, the Star Spangled Banner. So we all had our heads down. When you started singing, everybody's head slowly started rising up. Like, who's singing like this? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the, the voice was just, Sound like an angel. <laughs> I started off singing for weddings and I ended up singing for funerals. That's what I've been doing. <laughs> That's what you've been doing? Mostly for funerals. But um, whenever someone calls me to use my voice for their loved one, you know, I do it for them. White or black, it doesn't make any difference. I said, if you want me to sing for it, and they said, well, what's your charge? I said, zero. I'm not charging you anything. I said, because I'm doing this for God. I say, if you paid me, he ain't going to pay me. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be saying on a podcast, they might be getting a lot of calls now. <laughs> well, I, I, uh, I, I, well, I've slowed down a little now. Have you produced any songs of your own? Well, I went to Florida with my cousin, Reynolds, who was the band leader for Ray Charles for a very long time. He's the one that made I Got a Woman and a lot, most of, Ray Charles' early songs, he wrote them. 
What was his name? Ray who? Reynolds, Reynolds? Richard from Thibodeau. From Thibodeau. Right. But he went to New York and he taught uh, music there at the high school in New York. And he found him a wife, got married. And New York, they were getting older, so they felt like New York was too cold for them. So they went over to live in Florida. And he had a big house over there in the backyard, a cabin cruiser and stuff like that, you know, where rich people live. I, uh, I enjoyed the little, uh, stayed over there with him a week. But what the, one of the reasons I went there for is to record some gospel songs. And uh, we recorded about four songs. But he was trying to get those, those songs, uh, what do you call it? He was trying to get them noted. He was trying to get them produced. But it's been so long since he'd been in the business, he didn't know who to go to, you know, to get the songs listened, listened to. So as a result of that, the, the four songs that we recorded died. You still, you have them? He have them. You don't have he them? Wouldn't, he wouldn't turn them loose. He died, they died with him. He wouldn't turn them loose. But it was nice of him to invite me to come over there uh, to stay with him for a week to do the recording. Even though the recording didn't go anywhere, I was very happy about visiting with him. We went to some of the best restaurants that they had over there in uh, Florida. And of course, he had a band over there. So we went to the restaurants and we, we ate there and then we sang and he played. So he had a little band over there in what, the Florida. What, what type of what instrument he played? He was playing trumpet. Trumpet? Okay. And that was his main instrument. And of course, all of these people that's in his veins is retired doctors, surgeons, and lawyers. And of course, we all went to the restaurant. We would we would get the food. We didn't have time to eat because we had we was I, I was singing and they were playing. So I sung about five or six different songs. I said, let me sit down and go eat, man. Y'all play the rest. <laughs> but it was wonderful, man. I, I enjoyed it. And, um, so you, you never sung anything but, but gospel music? That I sung, well, I sung with the Coasters. What Coasters? The real Coasters. Not no Downsville Coasters? No, no. The Coasters? I, I sung with the Coasters in, in Las Vegas. And they wanted to sign me up. I took the lead for six songs, and the guy said, man, how do you know all of these songs? I said, I memorized it, you know? So they gave me a jacket, and I, got, I took the lead. What, how long ago was this? <laughs> I would say about, maybe about eight years ago. Okay, then. About eight years ago, if I'm, I'm correct. But I did sing with them six songs. And the dude wanted to sign me up. He said, I want to sign you up. I said, man, I'd lose my wife and everything if I signed up. I said, y'all, y'all find y'all constantly on the road. Days go. I told him, I said, I appreciate you uh, offering me this job. I said, but if I was single, I would take it. And I wasn't single, so I couldn't take it. How long you been there? Um, I've been married now for about, uh, I'd say about 50 years. 50 years? About 50 years. To, to the lovely wife, what's her name? Gail Ann Limas Francis. Huh? 
Gail and Limus Francis. Limus Francis. L Limus, right. L-Y-M-O-U-S. Limus. That's a middle name or maiden name? That's a maiden name. Where is she, she from? She's from New Orleans. That's where I met her in New Orleans. In fact, my brother Michael, he was going to Delgada, and I was going up there to, to, to see him, and he was the one who introduced me to, to my wife. Yeah, that, that was a good, uh, good thing your brother done for you, didn't huh? Oh, yeah, because you know what? That was a marriage put together in heaven. Because the thing about it is, when you find a good wife, you find gold. You can throw everything else away and stop looking. Oh, man. You know what I'm saying? Because if you don't see it that way, you shouldn't be married. You know what I'm saying? If you don't see it that way, if you don't think you found gold, then you should break up. <laughs> don't, don't, don't even go any further, really. Don't man. go any further. Let me ask you this question here. Mm -hmm. When I first started coming to Dallas, I guess, 27 years ago, Mm -hmm. 25, 20, 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. They had a lot of leadership in this city. A lot of the elder, the elders that I would meet would be at the donut shop or the, with the chicken shop, chicken, chicken place over there. And they had a certain level of respect for each other. When the men walked into the in, into the place in the morning, they would address each other. Good morning, Mr. Chairman. Good morning, Mr. President. Good morning, Mr. Secretary. Because mm -hmm. they was all part of these social clubs. Right. And There's a lot of them. Yeah, that's the way they used to address each other back then. But, but now, that is gone. Because a lot of these, these, these elders are deceased now. They transition. And the young people, Donaldsonville itself has become a very violent little town. The death rate in a little small town like this is, 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 is phenomenal. It's all over the country. But the place like Donaldsonville, that was a that was the leaders of, of the, for a lot of people. The Donaldsville does some great things, great people from, from song, sing, singers to movie stars, I guess. Uh, you know, whoever you can name, the, uh, like, what is his name? Pierre Landry, the first mayor of a- First black mayor. Of a, of a city was from Donaldsonville, the United States. The first was from Donaldsonville. Isn't that something? I mean, Donaldsonville got so much rich history, it so does. much greatness of the people that came before, and to be going, to be heading in the direction of heading it now, I, I'm confused about it. How did that happen? Well, um, how it happened? You have greedy people getting into politics that want more. They're not worried about those that have less. Or how am I going to address those that have less? They're worried about how can I get more? I want to join up with the people that have. I turn my back on the have-nots. They don't exist. They don't exist. See? But, you know, the Lord says, whatever you do to the least of my brethren, you do unto me. 
what they don't realize is they dig in their own grave. I can't stop them, but God can. And you know, whatever you do to the least of my brethren is a heavy statement. What am I doing as an elected official to benefit the have-nots? What am I doing as an elected official to benefit the haves? What are you, you gotta ask yourself these questions. And you have to be uh, reasonable enough to understand what the answer is. I don't care what kind of church you go to. I don't care what kind of church you preach at. If your heart is not right for looking out for the ones that have less, you're running into trouble. You're running into trouble with the master. But this, at the same time, mm -hmm. the people are suffering and hurting right. and in need. So we as a people and a community have to start figuring out what can we do? We can pray, we can march, but what can we do to give service, to help the people that need it? Uh, can't, no, can't no longer take, uh, play the blame game in a town like with so much rich history, like 1885, your great-grandfather had a business in Donaldsonville, mm -hmm. Louisiana. Yeah. Not long after they had a mayor of African descent in Donaldsonville. So then you got some people from the Reconstruction area, uh, time of Reconstruction, right after the Civil War. So you know you got all this, this greatness, a lot of musicians come from around this area. You know, I heard that, what his name? Louis Armstrong was taught by uh, mm -hmm. one of the great, uh, I forgot his name now. Uh, okay. I forgot the guy name, uh, who had a band up here. And, you know, he taught Louis Armstrong. I gotta think of the name. As well as I know the name. So, you know, these young, these, all these, we had great uh, builders, uh, stone masons like you are. You had masons who laid bricks, who built houses, uh, who could construct a house, or what you just saying when they built St. Catherine's church, uh, uh, school. That's right. Yeah, these men from their community built this school. Didn't charge nothing. Nowadays, you can't find somebody to help cut the grass around Donaldsonville. <laughs> and you know, when you think about Donaldsonville was organized by slaves. Uh, what do you mean by that? I mean that if you go back into history, you find out that Donaldsonville was organized by slaves. And I say to myself, this little place has such rich history that's being stolen away by greed. Nobody cares. Everybody wants the crime problem to go away. Then you gotta ask yourself, what am I doing? Little fella come around, he say, this is Stanley, I can wash your car. I said, no, here's five dollars, man. We'll get you something to eat. I don't need you to wash my car. Okay? 
I give him something. And people uh, come around and ask it for things and stuff like that. I'm giving a dinner because I'm trying to raise money to bury such and so. I say, here's $10. Don't bring, don't bring me to dinner. I'm just giving you that. You know, when you do something good, Brother Lyman, it makes you feel good inside. I didn't lose $10. I gained 20 Because I feel good in the inside that I was able to help. In a small way, I was able to help. You know, and the thing about it is, we all look down on each other. We have to start joining hands and joining hearts. And of course, going to church and praying and being all pious is one thing. But getting out there and doing some legwork and say, well, you know what? This lady came around, she said she didn't have nothing to eat. I gave her $10 to go to McDonald's to get something to eat. You know, that's something good. That's positive. You know, <clears throat> going to church, preaching the right words, saying the right stuff, being a very good orator, has nothing to do with reality. What am I doing for the least of my brethren? I go to bed at night and I think about the people that's on the streets here in Donaldsonville. Here in Donaldsonville, you got about 50% of, of, of the population is living below the poverty level. 73% is black. But you got 50-some percent is living below the poverty line. Donaldsonville was a was rated one of the worst countries, one of the worst places to live at yeah. in the United States. That's right. A couple of years ago. Right? That's right. It's still, it's still at the bottom of the list. It's still at the bottom of the list. So, so what we need to start working, bringing the people together in this community. You've been living here all your life. Mm -hmm. I just come and visit. And but I love the little town of Donaldsonville. I love oh, yeah. the people, great people here. Mm -hmm. There are great people who built this town. Now you, I just, now you just said that this town was organized by enslaved people? Uh, enslaved. It, it was organized by slaves. Donaldsonville was organized by slaves. So, in other words, Donaldsonville was started by black people that were enslaved. And right now, 73% of the population is black. But they come up in the culture of having children, raising children, no money, no skills. So what, what you gonna grab but drugs? What are you gonna grab? What can I grab? What am I gonna hang on? I need to go out and steal something? No. I might need to sell a little drugs and get a little money, you know? Look, look, I just, in the late 90s when I arrived in Donaldsonville, mm -hmm. Donaldsonville had the highest teacher, what you call that? Mm -hmm. T 
teachers organization, what that was, teacher union? Yeah. What did they call it again? Teachers union? Yeah, they, they had so many people that was educators in Donaldsonville. That's they right. Had, they had the highest percentage, and it was right here in Donaldsonville, in the state of Louisiana, from what I remember. So you had a lot of educated people here, generations of education, educated people. And the children that came behind them were not being educated. So how, how that happen? Well, I got my ideas how it happened. They did a good job while they were in school. But then, once they retired, it seems like they all sort of bunched up together. I've done my part. I've, I've put up with them for 12 years. Now I'm just going to sit back and create a club for us to enjoy ourselves. We finished. You know, but your job is never done. Even as a teacher, your job is never done, even when you stop teaching. Because there's always someone that you can assist with your knowledge that needs your help so desperately. Somebody might be wanting to kill themselves. If I could whisper the right word, you are somebody. Don't go around talking about ending your life. You are somebody and somebody loves you. I love you, everybody else loves you. God loves you. So, I wanna help you find a job. There's a lot of trade schools over the river. Maybe Donisonville can start a bus route to bring some of them over there to train them so they can get a job at CNF Industries. But the industries came to town saying they was gonna hire the local people and that didn't happen either. Industry is looking for somebody that's already trained. And of course, if you have uh, elected officials that's not pushing them, too high, your people. They like it. They like it. Don't they like it? You ain't cause no trouble for them. Right. Man. Most of the people that's working at them plants coming from Mississippi, Alabama, and them other states. They trained already. And these, they, and these plants are in your community. They, now you see, the thing about it is, we stand to die from ammonia. We stand to die. I was looking at the paper the other day. It was talking about uh, uh, Cancer Alley. And I was so glad to see that. Uh, I was so glad, uh, Lyman, to see that article. And some people had come down to New Orleans area. Not to go on Canal Street. But they came down to investigate this place called Cancer Alley. They were more concerned about environmental racism than they were of going on Canal Street and getting plastered. I thought this was really noteworthy that these people would come from another state, but they wasn't coming to have a good time. They wanted to see what Cancer Alley looked like, and they saw nothing but industry. Cancer Alley. People dying left and right from cancer. 
Ain't nobody gonna study this chemical because they're the ones that's supporting the people that's, that's able to do the studies. Am, am I right about it? Huh? So the thing about it is, yes, we should have more jobs here, but we should have some kind of mechanism in place to train the young people what they need to know to get a job in a plant. They got certain knowledge and skills that you have to have, they want you to have before you come over there. They wouldn't mind hiring you if you had these skills, maybe. I say maybe. So it's up to leadership to... It's up to put, leadership put, put it's up in place to put these things to, in to place. To work with these plants. That's to right. To see what they need and put, just create these. They know what they need and they, they, the plants can hire, some, put somebody over there to train these people. So something can be done to get these people ready. Because you got all these big plants. How many plants you got in the in a 10 mile square radius of a dinosaur? It feels like it's 50. I never, I, never, I never bothered to count them, but there's a lot of them. There's quite a few places. There's quite a few. And they're right next to each other. Make it all but just go to show you, my daddy bought that place over to buy it. And he had one thing in mind. He made a church out of it. He called it the Old Folks Union Hall. You know, by the way, he was one of the presidents of the True Friends Hall what Society. Was what was his name? Willie Francis. He was one of the presidents. They didn't like him, so they got rid of him. <laughs> but he stood up for the right thing, you know. And he bought this place over there because he wanted to make a trade shop. You had a lot of violence over there that buy it. So his idea was to get electricians in, plumbers, bricklayers, what else I didn't, carpenters, and let them all be there, and somehow let the state pay them a little something for teaching these young children a trade so they don't have to get in trouble with drugs. But he died before he could put this thing into action. So at, at, at his elderly age, he was working, your dad was working on Yeah, he was working. He, he was working, he, put, he bought that place over there. I wonder why he bought that place in the Den of Thieves. But he wanted to put this place where these people, can, the, the, uh, the people that don't have, would have access to that building and to get an education either with carpentry, um, Plumbing, electrical. electrical, brickwork, the whole gamut. This is what he wanted to do. He was never able to finish that. That was a big old, that's still a big building sitting there. That's right, it's a big building sitting there, but he, he, that's why he bought it. And I often wondered why he bought that place, I say, because you know, it's a lot of violence over there. There was a lot of violence back then over there? Right now too, right now. A lot of times I would go over there to see him and people would get in the street and they wouldn't move to let me pass, so I'd go around the other way. I'd say, well, I'm not going to bother with this. I don't want to start no mess I, that I can't finish. You know? They stay, I say, if they want to stay in the road, let them stay in the road. <laughs> right. This is my people. 
you know. But uh, you know, when when you when you face reality and you check in with God, He forces you to see and do the right thing. Am I? Do these people ask themselves the question: Am I doing the right thing toward the majority of people in this town? Am I? Or am I doing for the rich and the white? What am I doing? Am I playing the role that I need to be playing in this great historical setting? Oh, let me get my salary. I want to get more. I want to get more. I want to get more. I want to get more for me. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Nothing. That makes sense. So I, what I say is, you try to live, you try to pray, that someday attitudes will change in this time for the better. The attitudes make enough, make enough to survive. Attitudes and things have to change and, and directions have to change. Because when you look at God, the people you're turning your back on is God's children. Because he said, whatever you do to the least of my brethren, you do to me. He's talking about himself. You know? So you might be able to push me on the side, but can you push God on the side? Because he's watching you like he got his eyes on a sparrow and he watches you. He watches me. I want to keep him inside of my heart because I feel strong when I feel the presence of the Lord. And you know, when I sing, I can feel his presence more. Can you sing, I, I, My Eyes on the Sparrow? Oh, I tell you, that's a beautiful song. Let, let me hear you. Can you give a rendition of this? Well, that's not one I normally sing. I love it. I love it, though. See, his eyes is on the sparrow, and I know he watches, watches me. And the Lord says, he says, if my people who are called by my name would turn away from their wicked ways and pray and seek my face, then will they hear from heaven. Not before then, but they have to do those things. Turn from their wicked ways, pray, seek my face. Then will they hear from heaven. You know what I'm saying? So I say to myself, I got to examine my conscience to see. How did I spend this day? Did I spend the day praising the master? Giving him the glory that he deserves only? Realizing the gifts that he's given me. He's given me so many gifts. 
I can't even count. He was taking me out of such dangerous places in the Navy. Brought me back home. I thank him for all of that. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. And it's because of him. And when you realize that God is the most important thing in your life, nothing else matters. You got this one against you, you got that one against you, this, this one trying to, trying to cut your head the other way, but it don't matter because I put them all in his hands. I can't do nothing to change him. I can suggest things that should be changed. You know what I'm saying? I can suggest things. So you've always had a heart for your people, your community. Yeah, because uh, your daddy, I guess that's how your daddy was. My daddy was, I took after him. I always had a heart for my people. And a lot of people that was in this business called me on the phone and they told me that I was giving my work away. What you mean by that? They were saying that I was selling too cheap. Selling headstones? Too cheap. Because some of them went and told them what my price was. And I said, well, if I gave my work away, I gave it to my people and to all people. I make no difference with them. I treat white the same way I treat black. You have to show people that you care for them. You care what happened to them. And they start liking you, you know? And I use my desk here as a pulpit because I pray before I engage any, any customer. I ask the Lord, I say, Lord, if this is a humbugged person, please remove it. <laughs> yeah, I asked the Lord that. I said, Lord, if this is a humbugged person I'm about to meet, I said, please remove him. I said, because the thing about it is um, I'd rather not deal with him. But I said, not my will, but thine will be done. Not my will, but his will. And then when I think about all of the things that I've done and all the skills that were laid in my hands that I didn't have, they came from the master. That's what I told my son. He said, Daddy, how did you do all those things? I said, I don't know. I said, I do know. It wasn't me. It was God guiding my hand. Because when my daddy died, I was right there with him. And um, how, how old were you when your dad passed? Um, I guess I was like um, about thirty. Oh, you grown man. Yeah, I, I brought him to the hospital at the VA. Well, he served the military too. Yeah, he was an army. But the thing about it is. I came to the realization real, real young in my life how much we depended on God for everything. If I go to New Orleans and I get back, I thank him for traveling grace. 
If I go to Baton Rouge and I come back safe, I thank him for traveling grace. I didn't have to come back. See, he was, he was building a fence around me. And then you talk to him each day and I say, I thank you, Father. I thank you for allowing me to live another day. So if I don't live another day, I'm going to praise him till I die. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot of problems and a lot of stuff plague me about this town. But I have to give it to him. I have to give it to him because I know I don't have the power to solve it. But it irks you. It irks you to know what should be done. And you know no effort is being made to change it. No effort to seek federal funds to get help. No effort made to do nothing. Everything that's being built in this town is built downtown, uptown, avenue. Nothing for the community. Nothing for the community. Now, I got back to town to, to, to Donaldsville the other day and I did see a lot more police presence around here. I see the sheriff riding and the, yeah. the, you know, that kind of stuff happening. Uh, what that's about, that's, that's, that's stepped up, they stepped up their, uh, they stepped up their game to, to, de to detour crime? Well. Or the, or the sheriff had just decided he go. No, the sheriff was given $50,000 by the city council. That's besides what they're giving him otherwise. This is a, a little added boost. So to pay the, pay the sheriff department more money to, to ride through the city. To ride through the city and deter crime. But why do they invest in the community for programs like you said earlier? That's my question. That's my same question. But I mean, it's good that the sheriff got some money to do some things, mm -hmm. but the community need money to do things too to help to help their community. That's right. So it all got to go hand in hand. That's right. So I know you're not a politician. You never ran for office, but your your first cousin BJ was the. He was a mayor here in Donaldsonville. The second the second brother to be mayor in mm -hmm. Donaldsonville. Uh, so I mean, he he was a friend of mine. He was a local attorney. I mean, he was a good guy. So that you got all you got family that was politician. You still got a, a cousin, Reginald Francis, your cousin, who's a city councilman. Yes, right. So, so maybe we need to get with these guys and and, and kind of we all come, you know, no, we can't fight like like y'all did at the table with your dad had you at the table. Say if everybody, we all can sing together. So maybe we can all come to the table and just come to work together mm -hmm. to help the community now. Well, you know, the thing about it is, if you're not invited to the table, you can't, you can't open your mouth. Yeah, that's true. That's true. See, so the thing about it is, I have tried to, to bring my point to fruition, but You run into a brick wall. Then you say to yourself, the only thing I can do now is pray. Mm. And ask the Lord to change 
what needs to be changed. You know what I'm saying? I ask the Lord to change what needs to be changed. Now we can't, we also know that, you know, you got to be careful who you invite to the table. You don't want to invite people somebody to the table that go kick the table over mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and disrupt, you know, when nobody can't eat. Because now they kick the food over, ain't nobody can eat. So we want to make sure that we've got the right people at the table who got the best, the interests of the community at heart. Uh, that will make a difference because a town with community like Donaldsonville was so much greatness. The, its history speaks for itself. Mm -hmm. you know, of all the different people that come from this town, that came, that was, that was in this town, that done great things, still doing great things. And you got, you can't tell me that energy, that spirit, not still here. Yeah, I think it's still here. But they just kicking dirt on it. You know, the, the hope and the desires still here. I think the greatness from the past is pulling us toward doing something for the majority. The greatness, even from the grave, is pulling us toward doing something for the majority of the people that live in this town. I don't understand how someone can go sit at a meeting table, go back home, and feel good about yourself when you know deep down inside that you haven't done for your brother. How can you live with yourself? Your conscience, if you had one, should bother you. My conscience bothers me that I can't do more because I know the master and I know that he wants us to look out not just for the wealthy, but for those that can't help themselves. And he keeps me every day. He keeps me strong and he keeps me yearning for his glory. And one day I'm going to go home to see him. When my daddy died, I was right there in the hall where he fell down. And I said, Daddy, can I call the ambulance? He said, no, son. He said, uh, they can't help me. He said, the master is. Man, I bust out and cried. But he had come to the realization that the emergency unit couldn't help him. He said, I'm in the hands of the master. She take care of things from us, man. That was the end. That's, your daddy told you those words. That's right. At the end. At the end. Your daddy spoke those words to you. Spoke those words to me. It was like strength in death. 
strength in debt. I could never uh, cry for days and weeks after that. But uh, he was talking to me like nothing had happened. Now your mom had already passed before that? No. Uh, my, dad, uh, my dad passed first. My mom passed a while after that. But uh, I tell you one thing, my dad had wisdoms, and he made this thing for me. He made this by hand with uh, some tools, I guess. Turn it around, turn it around. Mm-hmm. What, what does that say? In Christ Jesus. He said, he said, Stan, he said, you're going to be all right. He said, just keep him in your heart. He said, I got, I got something I want to give you. He said, this is going to help you. He said, I know I didn't get a chance to show you everything I wanted to show you. He said, but this is all you need to know. And uh, he gave me this, and I put it up in the shop. Yeah. You went to Southern University. You graduated from Southern? I graduated from uh, Nickel State okay. first. Okay. Then I graduated from Southern. Oh, you had two degrees? I got two degrees, and then I, after I got out of the Navy, I got my GED. So I got a, a master's in mass communications and a master's in counseling from Southern. <laughs> okay. Right, so, so what, what, and all of that but, ma made me realize I was getting ready for a career in the teaching industry, but God had something different in mind for me. I couldn't turn him down either. I never thought wildest dreams that I'd be here. That never crossed your mind. Never crossed my mind. Everything I thought you was doing the good was to get away from this. Right. I was trying to, and I thought that I was making life easier. But I found out that it was easier here than where I was. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You see, when, when you run away from the Lord and stuff like that, he got ways of pulling you back. Uh, and this is, you know, I was ordained to be here. So that's how I end up here. I was ordained to be here. That's how I know that I need to stay close to him because... He's my present, past, and my future. You know what I'm saying? When is your birthday? March the 10th. March the 10th. Yeah, I, I've been in here. Uh, we took over in uh, 76. 76, and uh, we've been at it for that since 76 to the present. Yeah. So the thing about it is, I say, as my time winds down, I look for more ways on how I could be more helpful to my people because this is what he wanted to do. This is what he had in mind to help our people. So I'm thinking about what he thought about and I'm saying, I don't know what else I can do. But um, he was over up in the trade center that's what he wanted to do. He never got a chance to do it. He was, oh, he was working on it. He was working toward it. And the thing about it is, like I said, he was a jack of all trades, master of all of them. There wasn't nothing my daddy couldn't do. Plumbing, 
only thing he didn't like too much was electric work. But everything else, he just uh, excelled in it. He just, uh, you know, when you're training under him, he make you feel like you're stupid because he knew so much. And he didn't have too much patience. He showed you one time and that, he expect you to learn. Okay, huh? You think he learned it that, that quick so you can, huh? Well, the thing about it is, I didn't learn all I should have, you know, because I, uh, sometime, uh, I should have spent more time in the shop. But, I figured, uh, I, I always figured that, you know what, I don't have to do that. That's too hard. Come to think about it, God put me right in the midst of this thing. Now I'm winding down now. And I think about the greatness of the people that came ahead of me. What, what, what is that like when you say you wind it down? What, what is that like? Well, I feel like, Lyman, I've accomplished a lot through, through Christ. I've accomplished a lot in life. I've been through many different cities, countries. I've seen a lot. I've seen a lot of good and I've seen a lot of bad. And it just makes you want to say, well, what would God want me to do? As I wind down, I was a teacher, you know, so I, I even taught Sunday school. So, you know, I like uh, a lot of times I counsel people when I see them run down. Sometimes they come here when their loved ones have just died and they're crying so I have to console them and tell them about God and then they feel better when I tell them about God. Right. So you get a chance to uplift a lot of people who really been. Right. I uplift them and I tell them that, uh, you know, you know, uh, how they say that? About, uh, uh, Terror may comes at night, but joy comes in the morning. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, that's not exactly the way the, the verse goes, but that's the gist of it. And I tell them about uh, how God loves them and he understands that his will had to be done. Um, Sometimes we wonder why the Lord took that person, but it was his time on his calendar. You know, when he get ready, when he beckon to you and tell you to come up, that's one appointment you can't be late for. So I guess the whole life here is preparing you to have a happy death with Christ. Living not in sin, but living in his glory. So why should I fear death? The only reason why I fear death, if I'm running every gal in the street and I'm doing everything wrong and trying to hurt this one, hurt that one, causing this problem, causing the other problem, that's why I should be fearful of death. But if I know that I'm with God, I shouldn't fear death at all. Because I know that my Redeemer liveth. And I know that uh, he, when he get ready to take me home, he's ready for me. I could cry ten rivers. It ain't going to stop. But I know that he's a merciful God. And I know that uh, 
he's waiting on his boy Stanley whenever he's ready for him. So I told him I'm going to do his will until that time. We're going to close this podcast with our living legend here. Stanley D. Francis? D. Stanley, Stanley D. D. What D stand? David. Yeah, Stanley David Francis. Mm-hmm. Who your great-grandfather is one of our legends here too. Oh yeah. Who died serving the people of Donaldson. And what is written on his tombstone to this day? What's written on his tombstone is he cared more about people than he cared for himself. He represented the true God right. that you preaching about. And when I look at what was written on his tombstone, I know that we coming from a heavy hand of greatness to see where we have arrived today. It's disheartening. It's disheartening when you look at the history of this town and see where we are today. You ask yourself, what did I have to do with this? Am I a part of the solution? Or am I a part of the problem? These questions, to me, should be normally asked. If you don't ask yourself, then somebody should ask you. You know? What have I done to make this town better? I try in my product to make the have-nots being able to being able to afford a stone. That was my goal to make even the smallest person be able to say, "I got a stone for my mom and my dad." Great. Then our community—that's major. That's major. Because a lot. A lot of a lot of great to this day in our community still not have a headstone. That's right. So the the uh, that made me feel good to realize I played a small part in a very large problem. But I thank God that I'm able to do that small part in something that's much bigger that only He seemingly can solve. I know he can solve. Not my will, but his will be done. Now you got to close this podcast with one of your favorite songs that you can, you got to sing something for us that we can have to remember the great Stanley D. Francis by. What, what, what's, give, give us one of your, your favorite songs. I come to the garden alone While the dew is still on the roses And the voice I hear Falling on my ear 
the Son of God discloses and he walks oh the Lord walks with me and he talks yeah he talks with me and he tells me that I am his own and the joy we share yeah. oh as we tear we want to tear it none other has has ever known All right. <laughs> <laughs> that's the one and only the legendary the great man himself Stanley D. Watson thank you for joining us today little man. and uh, but we want to let you know from today you might not have had finished the uh, seminary, but your heart is still with the master. With the, and that's all counts. Oh yeah. So welcome to count time. Thank you for being here. Well, you, need to, you need to close with a prayer that, that the Lord, that the Lord, touch the lives, the people, the children. The, the you want me to close with a prayer? Yeah. Father in heaven. I come to your throne thanking you for all the multiplicity of blessings you bestow on us each and every day. Father, I thank you for providing food on the table for me, providing the roof over my head, shoes on my feet, clothes on my back. Father, for all of these things, I thank you. And I thank you for giving me the heart to love your son, Jesus. Father, I thank you for allowing your darling son Jesus to die on the cross, not just for my sins, but for the sins of the world. He didn't do anything wrong, but he died so that we can live. That's why he died. He died so that we can live and have life abundantly, have life everlasting. Father, you're the greatest God. You're the God of all power and God of all might. You're the way, the truth, and the light. No one comes to the Father except through your Son, Jesus. You're God, Jehovah, and you're God, Yahweh. You're the bright morning star. Father, we just love you. We magnify. We glorify your holy name. We love, trust, and we obey. There's no other God like you. Father, we ask you to forgive all of our sins and all of our omissions. And Father, we ask you to strengthen us so that we could live like brothers and sisters and serve you for the balance of our life. We ask all of these blessings in the mighty name of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. amen. Thank you, my brother. All right. Enjoyed having you today. Okay. A little bit of blessing and thank you for the beautiful history that you've given us of your family, your grand, your great grandfather, grandfather, and your dad. And we appreciate you being on Caltech. All right, thank you. Man.
man can shackle the hand, the man can shackle the feet, but only you can shackle the mind. The mind is always free to travel wherever you dare to take it. Welcome to Count Time.